So today, we're in part two of our worship series. Turn to the person next to you and say, worship series. Say it out loud. Say, worship series. Okay, so last week, Pastor Ryan Aldever did such a good job ministering to us. Loved his testimony. Loved the video from uh, Tim Hawkins. That was hilarious. And, uh, but but if, I'd like to go back to his key scripture just to remind you and refresh you in case you weren't here. Put it on the screens. And I'd like you all to read this scripture out with me together. Let's say it together. Say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Come on, say it out loud. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things. Come on, here we go. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Everybody say, yeah. Now that's a good scripture to hold on to. And I love that Pastor Ryan brought that out. That's a key scripture for my life. I want to still be like the, that my youth to be like the eagles. You know, when I'm old, I want to still be full of youth and vitality. He does satisfy me and I will bless his name at all times. And my soul will cry out to him and declare he is good. Ryan had two main points. I want to review those with you real quick. Number one, his big piece was that worship has many facets. So depending how you grew up or church that you, you, you grew up in or maybe the environment that you came out of, you may think that worship is, um, is lifting your hands and singing, or you may think that worship is giving money, or worship is doing outreach to help people that are in difficulty, and Pastor Ryan brought out to us, according to scripture, all those things are worship, it is multifaceted, it's not limited to one piece, some of you feel like worship should be reverent, we should sit and, and think and, and sing quietly, and that is beautiful, and there's a place for that, the Bible talks about it, but there's also a place to be rowdy and crazy and wild for our God, and celebrate his goodness and all that he's done for us as well. And so Ryan brought that out. I thought that was amazing and powerful. The second big piece that he made a point of out of scripture, and that is that pure worship is the result of complete surrender. That pure worship is the result of complete surrender. And he titled it, you know, that, that there should be love and respect. But it really boils down to when you and I surrender ourselves to the Lord, now we're worshiping. When we surrender what we think is important, when we surrender what we think everyone's going to think of us as we lift our hands, when we surrender all that and just say, you're good and I love you, when we surrender that as we go through the day and the Lord says, go ahead and tell that guy that you, that you, uh, you forgive him even though he's a jerk and you don't want to stab him in the throat. And we say, no, Lord, because then all my coworkers will think I'm a sissy. And you say, I'm going to surrender to that, Lord. And I go, Dude, that's an act of worship. That's what worship looks like. It literally starts with surrendering. And so today, as we go into part two, I've got a great title. I'm calling it The Worshiping Warrior. Would you say that to the person next to you? The Worshiping Warrior. Can you say that five times? No, you can't. It'd tongue tie you. The Worshiping Warrior. And I have two purposes. Two purposes in today's message that I pray that the Lord accomplishes or what I feel like He gave me to accomplish. Number one, I want to dispel that worship means emasculated. I want to dispel that, that worship means emasculated, that worship is what ladies do. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Worship is what effeminate men do. Thank you, Jesus. I want to, I want to dispel all that. That's why I've titled it The Worshiping Warrior. Come on. And, uh, and so I want to dispel that, and I'm going to bring you into Scripture and prove to you just the opposite. The second thing that, that my purpose in this message is, is I want you to understand the power of worship. Worship is not a religious duty. 
It's an opportunity. And then when you and I engage in worship with the living God, the power therein is astronomical. The accomplishment, what will happen in the spirit room, what will happen in you, what will happen to your destiny, what will happen to your situation and the difficulties is astronomical. And my goal is to help you see that today. And when you leave here, my goal is that you become a real worshiper, that you're not scared to worship going down the street in your car, that you're a worshiping God when you get home and you want to stab somebody, that you're worshiping God at work when they, when they give you a bad report and they, they're talking bad about you, say, y'all go take your smoke break, I'm going to go take my worship break. Whenever you get to church, you're not limited or inhibited, that you can be freely to worship and celebrate the God who created you, who loves you, who's redeemed you, and has put your feet on a solid path. Isn't that good? Say yes. So with that, here's my key scripture today. Write this one down, memorize it, look it up, it's on the scripture. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. It says, but you are a chosen people. I'm speaking to you. Do you agree with that? Say yes. But you are a, spo- are a chosen people. Yes. A good, a, a royal priesthood. Say yes. A holy nation. Say yes. And here we go. A people belonging to God. Do you belong to God? Say yes. yes. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This passage of scripture is teaching us that he has done these amazing things. As Listen, when, as McCain's, uh, my children, they know uh, that, that if they ever get off a little bit, I'll turn to them in the mall. I'll turn to them if we're out doing something and say, hey, 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 who are we? And they'll say McCain's. And then I'll say Ann. And they say, we never give up. We never quit. If they're ever talking bad about somebody, if they're ever complaining about it, it's too hard and they can't do it. Hey, 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 who are we? We're McCain's. Ann, we never quit or give up. Say it to them all the time, all the time. They repeat it back to me. That's what this scripture is doing. You are a holy people. You are a chosen people. Who are you? You are God's people. You are his children. And as a result of being God's children, there is praise that comes up out of us because we know who we are. And no weapon formed against us in prosper. All those that rise up against us shall fall. So when I stand and I say God is good, it means a lot more to me because I'm his. Because I know him intimately and I'm interacting with him. And the power therein that you and I are supposed to walk in. If we're going to kind of break down this whole concept that you can be a warrior worshiper. That worship can lend itself to warfare. Then really the only person to really look at in scripture is a guy by the name of King David. How many of you know who King David was in scripture? David is one of the most powerful men of God in the Holy Scriptures. In fact, the Bible calls it this. says he's a man after God's own heart. He's a man after God's own heart. And I want to just give you a couple of quick character sketches. Those of you who are finishing up English class right now, English 4, you did a bunch of character sketches of some of the people in some of the books you had to read. So let's look at David for just a moment. I'll just give you some thoughts about him. Number one, David was this young man. The Bible calls him ruddy. David, uh, it's believed that David's dad um, had an adulterous affair with David's mom while being married to this other lady. Uh, and in Bible times, they could marry multiple wives. And so kind of as the woman got pregnant, he went ahead and took her on. That's kind of how it's believed. There's no clear proof of that. But David says, in sin I was born. In sin was I conceived, is what David says about his life and his existence. So we see that Jesse... David's father is not real proud of him. In fact, when the prophet comes to declare someone is going to be the next king, Jesse doesn't even put him in the lineup amongst all his sons. And the prophet finally has to say, is there anybody else? And he goes, well, there's, 
the kid I got out in the, out in the woods watching the sheep, you know, out in the fields, will bring him in. And, and of course, you know the scripture, if you, if you studied that piece, that he's anointed as king. But David's this ruddy kid. David's this guy who's killed a lion and a bear while he's out there watching the sheep. He's from a good blue-collar family. He's a hard-working kid, and he's out there, and he sits out day in and day out, out in the woods, out in the, out in the fields with sheep. Let me tell you something. That boy stinks. That boy is a man's man. He ain't taking a shower in months. He comes in once a month to take a shower. He, he, his, his little beard is all grown out, a little ruddy, ready-looking complexion kid. This kid is not just uh, working with the sheep and caring for the sheep. The Bible says when a bear attacked the sheep, David rose up and killed him. That's bad to the bone right there. That's a man. Everybody say, that's a man right there. That's a warrior. When, then a lion came to try to kill those sheep and take one of those sheep, and David killed a lion. He says, with my bare hands, I killed that thing. I killed this lion. And then all of you know David from the story of David and Goliath. Even if you've not been a Christian very long, you at least saw that story in Veggie Tales at least once. And so as David comes and Israel's going to battle, there's this big giant who's 10 foot, 8 inches or so tall. He's as tall as a, as a basketball goal. And he's cursing God. And David says, uh-uh, no, sir. He's about 16 years old, somewhere in that range. And he says, no, sir. Look at this little warrior. No, sir, what, are you going to let him do this? Let me at him. I'll kill him. Let me have him. Come on, let's go. My God has already killed a lion and a bear through me. Let's kill this guy too. Come on, he ain't nothing better. He's just defiling our God. And you know the story. He takes his little stones and throws them at him, hits him in the head, knocks him down. I don't believe that's the point. It killed him at all. Because if that would have killed him, he wouldn't need to go over there, pick up Goliath's sword, and he starts hacking that dude's head off. <laughs> My point is, is he's not some little girly boy. This man right here is a man with blood on his hands. This man is a warrior. This man's seasoned some things and done some things. This man, this man lives out in caves. He's living out in fields. He's camping all the time. Ryan uh, Wood, uh, one of our pastors, you know, he's from Michigan or somewhere in Indiana. I don't know, up north somewhere. Who cares? And so he's from up there. Way, and he's always talking about camping. He says, Pastor Adam, you don't camp? I said, buddy, I'm from Louisiana. We don't camp. He said, why not? I said, because everything in Louisiana can kill you. Everything on the ground, every, mosquitoes can kill you. Uh, every snake will kill you. We don't go camping, that's dumb. Maybe up north where they all hibernate all year long, but where we're at, they're always killing you. And so we don't camp like that. David's always camping out. He's always living in caves. We see this crazy manly man thing, this warrior, if you will. And as he kills Goliath, obviously Saul takes notice of him. He brings him into his, into his influence. He brings him on, on his team. And he literally makes David his captain of his armies. And the Bible says that David begins to go out with the armies of Israel and defeat all the enemies of Israel. They begin to fight. They would have war in those days. Every year they would come to war because the way you increased your place or your people was to go conquer someone else and make their children your slaves, take all of their animals and, and take all of their gold and make it yours. And the way you did that was by defeating them. So they were always going to war. So David would defeat the enemies of Israel. And the fact, it got to the place where the people of Israel, the ladies of Israel, wrote a song. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. I mean, it just, this dude is a warrior, if you will. And as we watch through Scripture, his development all throughout First and Second Samuel, and we see that in the Chronicles as well, we see this young man, this warrior, if you will. In fact, he's had these moments once he becomes king, where he literally, and the people of God, uh, literally go in war against the other nations, and tens of thousands are destroyed. Yeah. 
This man has seen much blood. In fact, it comes to a moment where he wants to build the temple of God. And God says, I can't let you build it. Although you're a man after my own heart. Because you have so much blood on your hand, I have to have someone else build it. I'm talking about a warrior. Have I made the point that he's a warrior yet? Have I made that point? Good. Because at the same time that this man is a man's man, is a warrior who's a fighter, who's a battler, who's a military personnel. This same guy is a guy who has God's heart at the center of his heart. In fact, from the very early age, we see him sitting out, watching these sheep, playing his guitar, singing to the Lord. I love you, Lord, and I praise your holy name. He begins to write psalms. In fact, David wrote 75 of the 150 psalms. David is a man's man, is a warrior, but he's also a worshiper. David understands the power of worship to bring God's presence in on the scene. And in fact, the moment that Saul is killed in battle and David is now brought forth to be the king of Israel, the prophecy that's been on his life since he was a boy, but he's had to wait 15, 20, 25 years to get to. When he finally happens, the first thing that David wants to do is get the presence of God in the city of David. My capital is going to be here, and I want, and this is where I'm going to live and abide, but I can't live here without God's presence. i got to have God's presence. And in those days, God literally dwelt in the Ark of the Covenant. You've seen, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the box, you know, and it had the showbread and the different pieces inside of it. And it had been sitting in a, in a home out in the middle of nowhere. And so they went to get it, and as they went to get it, they disrespected the presence of God. They put the Ark of the Covenant up on a cart pulled by an oxen. And as they were pulling it, the oxen stumbled. The cart began to fall over, tip over, and the, and the Ark began to fall out. And Uzzah, or Uzzah, depending on how you like to say his name, reached out to stop it from falling. And as soon as he touched the, the box, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord, it killed him dead on the spot. And David was so upset at God. He says he feared the Lord. He said, how can I be in relationship with a God who just kills accidentally? Oh my, I can't even come close to him. And so they took that, they were close to Obed-Edom's house and they put the ark in Obed-Edom's house. And David just went on about his business and said, I don't know what to do. And as the weeks passed, Obed-Edom began to be blessed. His crops began to outgrow everybody else's. His animals began to out, you know, propagate more than all, everybody else's herds. All of a sudden, blessing after blessing after blessing, they came, they reported it to David. They said, David, Obed-Edom, God is blessing him because the presence of God is in his house. And David said, I can't do it anymore. I can't live without his presence. I got to have his presence. So they went and researched and found out, oh, they had been disrespectful. The ark was never supposed to be put on a cart like the Philistines did. It was supposed to be carried and submission. There was supposed to be a difficulty to it. That the priests, the Levites, they were supposed to carry this thing. And as they carried it, just like you do when someone special has died and you get to be a pallbearer, that thing's not supposed to be rolled out on a cart and thrown down in the ground. It's supposed to be carried by people who love and care for it. Come on, are you with me? Say yes. And it's supposed to be carried. And so they went back and they repented over it. And David said, you know what? Let me tell you something. God's presence is going to come to my city, but I'm going to pay the price for it. So let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take an offering every six steps we're going to make a sacrifice. Every six steps, we're going to take a bull, or we're going to take a lamb, or we're going to cut that sucker in half, and we're going to march down through the middle of it. And we're going to have, I want everybody out there, 80,000 musicians, 80,000 people singing, warriors, everybody singing and worshiping God. They did that from all the way from Obed-Edom's house to the city of David. That was somewhere between three and six miles. Let's say it was only three miles. Can you imagine the helicopter view as they would go and it'd start off, let's go, guys! Ark of the Covenant. We love you, God. We love you, God. Three, two, one. We're out. Stop. Splat. 
Blah! Cut him in half. Walk through the next one. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop! Splat! Splat! Cut him in half. The blood. Can you imagine the aerial view of three miles of blood and guts and 80,000 people stomping through it, traveling through it, uh, worshiping through it, dancing through it? Can you imagine the sacrifice of praise? And we struggle if the air condition didn't set right. Can you imagine? We're worried about, you know, what we look like. You know, I can't really lift my hands this week. You know, I, sorry, sweated on the way over here. Can you imagine the grossness, the sweating? And as they came into the city of David, David is dancing like a crazy person. Ah, and he's dancing. And let's pick up there in First Chronicles, and we can see what his wife said about it. So we're in First Chronicles. It'll be on the screen, chapter 15. So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant, verse 28. All Israel brought up the covenant, uh, Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouts, with sounding of rams, horns, and trumpets, and of cymbals, and a playing of the lyres and harps. And as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. If you go on and read the rest of it, she pulls him aside and she says, <laughs> how the king distinguished himself today. Embarrassing. Embarrassing, that's what you are. Okay? Because you're out there dancing and your clothes are falling all off. And all the servant girls of Israel are watching and dancing with you. Mm-hmm. How dignified, how can you be the king if you can't even act appropriately like a king would? But instead, you're dancing and shouting to a God you can't even see. And it's in that moment that David gives the greatest response in the history, in my opinion, of the Bible. He says, sweetheart, let me tell you something. That ain't nothing. I will yet be more vile. That's King James, vile. What he's saying is, hey, let me, let me just tell you something. You think that was something? Did that make you mad? Wait till you see me really dance before the Lord. At least my underwear stayed on that time. (laughs) He said, I'm about, listen, you have no, and then he goes on to correct her. He said, let me tell you something. I am worshiping the God who rejected your daddy and gave it to me. I'm worshiping the God that took a little white trash boy, a little blue collar boy out in the middle of nothing and made him a king. I'm worshiping the king of kings and the Lord of lords who protected me when everyone wanted to kill me and your daddy was trying to kill me and he had demons inside him and I didn't do anything to hurt him. God protected I will worship him even more than this. You ain't seen nothing yet, sweetheart. And then he goes out and he gives everybody in Israel a present. Let's just get, he starts taking from his personal bank account and just giving everybody a present and saying, this is a great day and then from there guess what he does he sets up 24 hours a day seven days of week worship and praise and every person would come and have a moment there that all of the levites all of the men who had been who had been been playing the instruments that they would begin to rotate themselves in and that there would constantly be praise and worship in the presence of the Lord. Are you with me? Say yes. yes. See, David had an understanding. And this comes to my first point about the power of God. And that is, or the power of worship, excuse me. And that is, when you and I worship, guess what it does? It sets the place. Give them number one. The first point in the power of God, what it does, our power of worship, what it does for us, number one. And it's coming, or I'm just going to call it out, and then you'll come back to it. There you go. Great. Did it go up? Go. Worship ignites the presence of God. David understood that. He understood, he said, listen, I got to get the presence of God at my house. I don't know how to get it. 
I tried to bring it on a cart. It killed somebody. What I realized is, A, there was no worship attached to it, and there was no sacrifice of worship attached to it. So I'm going to fix that. And I'm going to give the greatest sacrifices. Three miles of dead animals. Three miles of sweat, grit, perspiration, sandals full of blood and guts. And then when he came into the city, and when a king, a conquering king would come into a city, they would come in in majesty. And David didn't come in in majesty. He comes in in humility. See, humility, let's say it like this, dignity cannot exist there's going to be humility. See, I'm a dignitary for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but I'm humble before him, for he is the great God of heaven and earth. And what I have found is people struggle to worship because they still are trying to keep their dignity. When, I, when you come to the place that he is everything, then you can lay down what everyone else thinks and you can worship him. You can be an executive of a giant corporation and still be totally humility, as full of humility towards the Lord your God. You can say to the God who created you, I love you. And if you want me to say that right now, it may be a little bit embarrassing, but I'll say it and see life's change. But it takes a humility, and that's what David did. And the reason why Michael despised that, the reason why she despised it, because she saw her dad be a dignitary, but never saw him humble himself and repent. And so she thought that's what rightness was. You may have grew up in a church where worship was reserved and dignified. And that's wonderful. There's a, there's a place for some of that. But I'll tell you this. Worship starts with humility. And when you and I humble ourselves, it creates the presence, uh, ignites, excuse me, the presence of the Lord. You say, I don't feel God anymore. When's the last time you really worship? When's the last time you sweated over it? When's the last time you sacrificed how you felt? You say, you know, I don't always feel like it when I come to church. Well, I don't either, and I'm the pastor. I make a sacrifice of praise because he's worthy of it. Are you with me? And that ignites something. That ignites his presence. And so David was so serious about it. He said, listen, we're going to have this thing on fire, literally, night and day, praise and worship, night and day. And we're just going to rotate us in, guys, until, listen, your job from, from can you imagine your job from 9, 9 p.m. To, to 6 a.m. is to lead worship in the presence of, in the throne of God. Can you, in, in the tent where he had the, had the uh, Ark of the Covenant set up. And you're just in there leading worship. And you're just singing out. And then you go to bed, wake up the next day. That's what you do. And that's what you got paid to do. That's what, the, that's what the city of David paid you to do. That's what the taxes came for so you could do that. Can you imagine? And so David said, I want his presence so bad. And the way to get it, the way to ignite it is through worship. Here's the next piece I want to point out to you. And that is worship is how we allow God to fight our battles. Talking about the power of worship. So hopefully I made a good point that the great warrior David was also a worshiper. And that, and that, that the two go hand in hand. Listen, I know there's some mamas in the room that understand it. Because I've seen you. No, you will. Devil, let go. My God is good. And you start stomping on him because you understand the power of worship. 
And so it's in this peace that you got to understand. When you begin to worship, what you do is you enable God to fight your battle because you say, I can't do it in my own strength. I can't fix the dude I work with. I can't fix the people. They are messed up. I've tried. I've tried to be nice. I've tried to say a little prayer. And so what you do is you start worshiping through that. And you start worshiping God because he's good. And what happens is he begins to go fight your battles. And there's this beautiful passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's the story of Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat is the king of uh, Judah. Now, what has happened is Israel... Israel has had a split. There are 12 tribes. 10 tribes in the north have split off. And, uh, and, and, and the two tribes in the south have stayed together. And they more belong to the Lord. The other guys end up with all kinds of false worship. And Je- Jehoshaphat is the king over the two tribes. When they were 12 tribes, they were a much bigger nation. They had much more power. When they were coming through the wilderness, going into their promised land, there were much more of them, bigger, bigger, uh, a bigger army, if you will. Now that Jehoshaphat is, had, has had the other 10 tribes break away, and they're Judah, they're two tribes, now they're vulnerable to all the different groups around them that want to destroy them, take them, make them their slaves. And in Second Chronicles chapter 20, it says this in verse 1, And after this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Muonites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Again, they want to make them their slaves. They want to conquer them. That's how they advanced their, their country. And so Jehoshaphat does a smart thing. He gathers all of Judah, and he says, Listen, we're about to be destroyed. Let's pray. And he calls a fast and a prayer, and he gets a general assembly. And in his prayer, he says something along these lines. He says, oh God, when we were one big nation and we were coming through, you told us not to destroy the Moabites. You told us not to, but to spare their lives. And now that we've been splintered off, look how they repay good with evil. And so God, I cry out to you for mercy. But Lord, even if you don't spare us, we will praise you to our death. That's his prayer. In the midst of that prayer... The assembly of people, they're crying out, they're praying. All of a sudden, one of, one of the Levites gets a word from the Lord and he starts prophesying. He says, God says, if you will worship, I will go before you and ambush these wicked people. He says, that's what I'll do. And so Jehoshaphat has a moment. He says, now imagine getting those orders. You're in your, you're in your tank, you're, on, you know, you're out in, you know, fighting Al-Qaeda, whatever. And, and you get the orders, hey, we're going to worship. You're not even going to have to worry about it. He's going to ambush them. We're going to worship. Uh, okay. What does that mean? We're going to sing about how great he is and what he's done for us. And we'll remind ourselves of his power. And so the next morning as they go to go out to battle, Jehoshaphat says, okay, now this is what I want you to do. I want you to all start singing. And this is the words he gave him to sing. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. So they're marching out. A few thousand of them. I don't know how many. Give thanks to the Lord, for His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for His love endures forever. I don't know if they're marching. I don't know. They probably made it a chant. You guys are in the military, you know. I don't know what they're doing. But they're singing it out. And as they go to go to the battlefield, hours earlier, what has happened is the three groups that were going to attack Judah, they get sideways with each other. They start fighting amongst themselves. They kill every one of themselves. They all are dead. Come on, stay with me. This will help you. When Judah gets to the battleground, and it's nothing but dead bodies. Crows flying over, circling. Can you imagine? It takes them three days to collect all their valuables off all the dead people. In one moment, they become super rich. They 
they get all of their donkeys, they get all their horses, they get all their money, they get all their gold, they get all their armor, they get all their cool new weapons in one moment. Because they were willing to worship and praise. And God went and fought their battles. You keep trying to fix him, that's your problem. You need to let God fight your battles. See, when you say, I will worship you, Lord, for this job, even though I hate everybody that works here, I worship you, Jesus. When you begin to worship, what happens is he goes and he ambushes the enemy. And he turns them against themselves. And before you know it, you in charge. I can tell you story after story after story, people in our church that have learned this. That have been, they understood in Scripture, wait a minute, so, so I just need to worship. See, here's the, here's the deal, though. Worship is connected to humility. Worship is connected to, I can't do it anyway, so I'm just going to trust you. See, now you're no longer in charge. God's in charge. And when you come to that place, that's when the supernatural things start happening. And so that's when you can really worship. You can sing all you And I've heard some great singers. I've heard some great Christian singers. I've heard some great people that went into Christian music and Christian worship music because it would make them a lot of money. But they had no anointing, no power because they weren't worshiping God. They were trying to sell you their music. There's a difference. You'll notice the people on our stage, they love Jesus, they live holy, they live righteous, and they're not singing, so you can go, oh my God, you are you can sing, girl, oh my goodness. We're not doing that. What we're doing is leading you into the presence of the Lord. That's what our worship team's doing. And that's what they talk about every time they gather, every time they pray, oh God, may we get out of the way and lead your people into your presence so that you can fight their battles. Are you with me? Say yes. Come on, you can do better now. Are you with me? Say Yes. Okay, and then number three, here's the third thing, or the third power of worship, and that is worship causes others to desire God. Did you know that? Your worship will cause others to desire God. Look what the scripture says in Psalms 40 in verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see. Everybody say many. many. Say many will see. Say it with me. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. What are they going to see? They're going to see you praising your God. They see you worshiping your God. And it's going to cause them to fear. Wait, I don't have what they have. It's going to cause them to put their trust in your God because they see you worship. That's what the scripture says. See, see listen, some of you need to say, listen, y'all go on, do y'all smoke break. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to just worship. Just worship. Some of you need to get, see, there's some men in this room, you need to get delivered from that worship and lifting your hands and singing and dancing is some, kind of, is, is some kind of effeminate thing. You need to be a worshiping warrior because when you do that, what's going to happen, it's going to cause others to see, want what you have, come in the right relationship with the Lord and transform their life because they say, you must have something because I don't have that. I ain't never seen a dude do that. That's why we got dudes up here doing worship. Jamal, I, when they said, hey, can we have Jamal lead, help with worship? I looked at that big old boy. I said, oh, Absolutely. Bring all those muscles up on the stage. I want people to know that men, when we worship, something shifts in the spirit. Something shifts. In the mornings when I wake up, sometimes my son has gotten out, gotten up before me. and He's in there, and I'll hear him in his bathroom, getting ready in his room. And he's got his iPhone going, and he's got his worship going. I can hear him in there. Jesus, Jesus, I love you. Dancing around and stuff. I'm so proud of him. You know, I didn't do a lot of things right as a parent. But if I got that one thing right, it's well worth it. He learned that from me, though. Because I don't really care what you think. I'm going to worship Jesus. He, he's the pastor of this church. He's the leader of my life. And I will not create an atmosphere where he can't abide in. 
by being prideful and egotistical. And, you know, I might throw a little hand up to you. Hey, a little tip off to you. Good job. You know, you're doing good for us. Wish we could grow a little bit more. No, that's not. No, he is the king. I, listen, every time I walk through this building, he gave us a building. Oh, my God. Look at this toilet paper roll. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, you ought to see me. It's creepy sometimes because I have learned that in worship and in praise, hey, I create a place for his presence. Then what happens is he begins to fight my battles. And then like we have is number three, worship causes others then to start desiring God. I was going down the highway, 67, I, I used to run a Bible school up the road called Christ for the Nations. And it's one of those weeks, I know y'all have never had them, but it's one of those weeks, you know, sometimes working with Christians is a lot worse. You know, because working with people who aren't Christian, I can say, well, you're just full of the devil, that's your problem right there. But I have to say, you're full of the devil, but you're supposed to be a Christian. That's your problem right there, you know what I'm saying? And it's just one of those weeks, man. I was, you know, I don't know if you've gone up 67 to go to downtown area, 35 and all that comes together. It's a parking lot from 630 to 730. Really, you're creeping along. So, And, I, you know, I've tried to figure out, can I ride the service road? It's just one of those mornings, nothing's going right. Or I got one of those phone calls. And, man, I'm in the fast lane. They won't get out the way. Nobody's moving. I'm just so mad. And as I'm sitting there, all of a sudden I hear, ba 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 da ba 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 it was an old Mary Mary song, you know, take these shackles off my feet so I can dance. So I look over, and there's this black chick, man, she's in it. Take these shackles off my feet so I can dance. Oh, prayer. Hey! Ow! And she's going at it. And I look over at her like, do you know what kind of day I'm having? Why are you so happy? And she's worshiping, and then all of a sudden she looks over at me like, come on. Uh, and so... I rolled down my window. I said, man, you got it going on. She goes, man, Jesus has been so good to me. She said, do you know Jesus? I said, well, I'm actually a pastor. <laughs> and she said, come on, you know this? I said, I showed it. I said, I started with her. Yeah, come on. We inching up. You can't go nowhere. And so, you know, and I started saying, take these shackles on. She said, there you go. I'm like, yeah. Uh. And I started, uh, uh, uh. I'm trying to turn around in my seat and stuff, you know. And we just worshiped. Man, the glory of God came and filled my room, my, my car. By the time I got to work, I was like, Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. All because her worship caused me to ignite. I don't think you understand. Because you're not worshiping, sir. I don't know what that's creating for your children. I can tell you if you'll be a worshiper what it will create. Though. It'll cause them to trust and put their faith in the Lord. Because they'll say, he's got it. And that's what I want to have. Here's the last piece that I would teach you. The power of worship. And that is that worship brings your soul into alignment with God. It brings your soul into alignment. I don't know about you, but there are days my emotions are all off. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm just mad. Just mad. I don't even know what I'm mad about. Just mad. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes my mind is just everywhere. I know y'all don't have that, but I'm ADDDDDD. So, so sometimes I can't, I don't know which thought to stop. <laughs> There's so many of you know, and you guys that don't have the, you know, that aren't like that, you know, you gotta understand us ADDDDD people. There's 17 screens in my mind going on. I have to pick which one I'm gonna say and not say. <laughs> yeah. And so sometimes I don't always pick the right, the right pieces. And so there are times where I'm just overwhelmed with that, and I have learned, wait a minute. Come on, let's just worship the Lord. Let's bring the peace of God back in this place. And I'll just stop. Hallelujah. And hallelujah. And hallelujah. And our God reigns. And look, you, you fell? 
felt the sense, peace of God, lines me. Brings me back into alignment. Brings it back into alignment. Because I'm all stressed out and worried about stuff. Listen, I want you to know what we do with your tithes and offerings. We have a budget here. We need to meet budget. We need to do appropriate. We need not to overspend. It's, that's a tough role. I don't, I don't like it. I wish you did it. And I could just preach. But it's my role. It's my responsibility. And you ask the people in the finance team when we meet every time. Come on, guys. Let's just lift our hands. We love you, God. Thank you that people in our church give finances to you, oh, God. We'll just sit there and worship. Start praying in other tongues. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for every little penny. I know it's a sacrifice for some of these guys. Oh, God, I know. For some of them, Lord God, I bless you because I know for them it's a faith thing. They're not sure. They got darn dirty at the last church. And go, oh God. And we just start worshiping. We start praising over it. Why? Because we want God's presence yeah. in our daily activities. I don't want to make, I don't want to make, I don't want to make good business decisions. I don't want to make God decisions. Yeah, I want to hear his voice. I want to align my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions with the Lord. This is the power of worship. So, a worshiping warrior. Hopefully I make the point today that worship is not, worship's not for the little weak who can't do anything else. Worship is for those of us who know God has a desire to be with us. We create an atmosphere for Him to dwell in when we worship. And listen, let me tell you something, warriors. When you do that, God goes and fights your battles for you. Let me tell you something, warriors. When you begin to worship, let me tell you what happens. It aligns you. It aligns. It puts it into order. Everything that's out of order, it starts putting it in perspective. I would challenge us today. Be a church that worships. Don't just worship on Sundays. Lift your hands here. Man, listen, live a life of worship. May your children hear you singing in the shower. And it ain't, you know, achy, breaky heart from the 80s. May they, hear you, may they hear you singing when you pull up in the driveway from work. And you're talking about his goodness and what he's done for you. May they hear you, see you, love others in an act of worship. When it, Dad, I wouldn't have done that. I would have punched him in the face. I know, buddy. But, I, but we got to love like Jesus loved. This is an act of sacrificial worship for my God. I wouldn't have done it for anybody else. It was for Jesus. That maybe this man's soul could be spared hell. May that be who we are. Would you stand with me all across the room? You guys have been magnificent this morning. Thank you for allowing me to speak into your life. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a person who won't worship our God. You just bow your heads for just a moment. I'll just take a few minutes here to minister to you. The call for today, the ministry that I feel like the Lord wants to do in all of us, including me, is return us back to a place of worship. I don't always like the song. I don't always like the way another generation expresses their love for the Lord. But I've learned to worship in any venue. I've learned to worship no matter where I'm at, whether I'm in a denominational setting, whether I'm in a non-denominational setting. I've learned to worship whether I'm in circled on an airplane around people who have no idea why I'm sitting there singing as we're flying somewhere. I've learned to be a worshiper, and I want that for you as well. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to let the Lord just minister to you. If today, if today this message is dealing with your heart, you say, Pastor, I I sense that, man. I've, I've gotten away from being a worshiper. I've lost the power of allowing God to fight my battles. I've been trying to do all that in my own strength. Heed the word today. Let the Lord minister to that. You say, Pastor, I'll be honest with you. I haven't felt God in forever. 
I'll be honest with you, I haven't. But take this word. Instead of watching so much TV tonight before you go to bed, just go in the side room and put on a worship CD and just sit there and talk to him. Sing from your heart. Say, I don't sing that good. I know you're using all those excuses. Listen, what needs to happen is you and your God need to bond. We find that the great warrior of the scriptures, the great warring worshiper, wrote 75 of the 150 psalms in scripture. This man who was constantly in battle, defending the things of God, fighting for the people of God. Literally, at the end of his hands, he'd seen people die. But he also wrote the most beautiful passages, song that expressed the love of God, the forgiveness of God for his own sin and things that he had done. There have been moments in my life I've been so frustrated with me. And I remember this message. Not a message that I preached. It was a lesson that I learned out of Scripture. And I would, and I, I would go fall on my face and I'd just start singing to God in my side room. And I would just begin, out of my heart, I'd begin to pour out, God, I'm ticked. God, I'm mad. I'm mad at you. I'm mad at life. And as I began to articulate that, as it found its way out of my inner being, out, out of my mouth, it was like God's presence would come and he would kiss it. And, and that's happened to me day after day after day. And I want you to have that same experience. And so today, I'm asking you, make a fresh commitment to be a worshiper. Right there where you stand. Would you just close your eyes and bow your head and say, Lord, I want to be a worshiper. I want you to, I want you to think about your life. What, what, what hinders that? Has it been because you, because you don't like the sound of the music of this generation? Has it been because you, 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 only, you were raised that you only worship when you go to church and it's more about singing and lifting hands or not lifting hands? Come on, would you get free from all that and just begin to say, Lord, I want to worship you in every moment of the day. Teach me what that looks like for me that I can abide in your presence for he inhabits the praises of his people. David said, I'll not offer anything that costs me nothing. There's a sacrifice of praise that I've learned. Now, as you're just interacting with the Lord, I want to turn my attention to anyone in this room who would say, Pastor, I've got to be honest. I'm not a Christian. I'm not sure that if I died today, I would go to heaven. I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I hear you guys talking about it. I see you teaching the people how to deepen that relationship, but I don't even have one. Maybe you used to have a relationship with the Lord, but sin has pulled you away. Listen, I got great news for you. God's not mad at you. He's been longing for this moment to woo you back. You say, woo, what does that mean? It means he's been, he's been trying to get your attention. He's been orchestrating things in your life to make this moment happen so you, me, and him can have an interaction. As the pastor of this church, I would call you out of sin. And I would say, come love God. Come know Jesus again. Come out of the ways that you live and the ways you think and allow him to be the Lord of your life. Worship him with every part of your being. With no one looking around, if I'm speaking to you, you say, my goodness, I'm, I, I feel that. I don't think I'm right with God and I, I don't want to live like this. Would you let me pray for you? Would you let me introduce you to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? So what do I have to do? The Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I'm looking for those who are ready to be honest and ready for a change. The Bible calls it repentance. It means to turn from your sin and come back to Him. But no one look around. If that's you, I'd like to pray for you. Would you be courageous enough to say, that's me, Pastor, and lift your hand. If that's you, I'll pray for you. 
quickly. If that's you, lift your hand across the room and say, pray for me. God bless you, sir. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? Thank you, brother. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you, sweetie. Thank you for your honesty. You can put your hands down. Anybody else? I'll pray for you. I'll lead you to the Lord. If you hadn't raised your hand, you ought to give you three more seconds. God's dealing with your heart. Don't push it away. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Amen. I see it. You can put that back down. Amen. All your hands are back down now. Now, those of you that lifted your hand, I'm going to introduce you or reintroduce you to the Savior through a prayer of repentance. In fact, I'm going to get everyone in the audience to pray this prayer out loud with you. But I want you to mean it with all of your heart. I want you to own it and own the fact that you're a sinner and that you need to repent. I did. I still do. I own the fact that I sin and I repent. But I've been forgiven. And I want you to have that same moment right now. So I'll lead you in this prayer. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, Jesus today, today I, repent. I repent. I ask you to forgive me. I, I, recognize, I recognize I'm a sinner. I own it. And I ask you now, forgive my sin. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Write my name in your book of life. In front of all these people, in front of heaven and earth, I declare Jesus as my Lord. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Would you put your hand over your heart? Father, I pray for every man and woman in this room. Lord, those who are praying this prayer of coming back to you or repentance for the first time, I pray right now they would sense a cleansing in their heart. I pray they would sense that something is shifting on the inside of them. Lord, I pray that they would know that they know that you have forgiven them. They walk out of this room. It's done. They can hold their head up high. They belong to you. Now, Lord, begin to teach them what it is to serve you. How do, how do, they, how do they have a relationship with the King of glory? Lord, show them. Get them in a good relationship that can help them. Lord, for the members of this church, those who love you, Lord God, and doing their best to serve you, Lord God, that we would all be worshipers. Lord God, that our children would say, my daddy loves Jesus. I always hear him singing to me. My mama, she, she's, it's awesome. Every time she's cooking, she just, it's almost like she's writing songs, expressing her heart to God. Father, I thank you, Lord God, you're going to fight these men and women's battles as they learn to let you do it, as they go forth and worship. Lord, I thank you, you're going to rightly put them in right order in their soul, oh God. And Lord, most importantly, that your presence would be everywhere they go because they've learned, learned to cultivate that through worship. Lord, we bless you. We call this a church of worshipers and not just any kind of worshipers but warrior worshipers in Jesus name amen amen